Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. to God's Word. Uh, as some of you know that was here last week, I started a sermon last week and I told you that it wasn't going to get finished. And so we're just kind of starting back up. Amen. And hopefully within itself uh, contained, this will make sense even without having been here uh, last week. We're so thankful for all the family of uh, Sean and maybe even friends. This might show that he even has friends. No, there's friends and family that are here uh, with us this evening, amen, for uh, this uh, mile marker in his life. And uh, so here to celebrate with him as we celebrate with him as well. And I want you to know he's a pleasure to have around here. Very respectful young man. Very respectful young man. And I know that came from then good teaching of good parents and such. And so uh, we appreciate that. Romans chapter number one, verse number 18. I'm going to do just a little skipping around in our reading tonight. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you the next verse that we'll go to after Romans one and verse 18. The Bible says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Skipping down to verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Skipping now to chapter number two and verse number eight. Chapter number two of Romans, verse number eight, the Bible says, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath. And so last week, we kind of touched a little bit on the idea that these three verses cover, and that is how people may or may not respond to truth. In verse 18, they hold or, in other words, suppress truth. In verse 25, there are some that may change or exchange truth. And in verse chapter 2 and verse number 8, those that obey not the truth. And so tonight I want to continue talking to you because truth. Because truth. Hallelujah. I know you may feel like we've done a lot of, Brother McGee, we open with prayer. We pray over names. We pray over offering. Hey, there's nothing wrong with covering anything and everything you do with prayer. Amen. And so we're going to pray tonight, right now. Father, I thank you, Jesus. I need you, Lord, in this place. I pray, O oh Lord, open our mind of our understanding. God, as we look one more time, God, at your word. God, these are the words of life, God, according to Scripture. Help, Lord, these words empower us and direct us, Lord Jesus, in our lives. God, I pray, Lord, strengthen our minds, Lord, tonight. God, help us, Lord, to see the truth, the Lord God, that are therein. I pray, God, bless each and every individual that is here and made an effort, Lord God, to be here. God, bless them just for their efforts, I pray, God, tonight. And will not fail and thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you do. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated tonight in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We took our text from 2 Thessalonians last week. And the Apostle Paul was speaking to us there how there would be a day in which 
the son of perdition or that one that is even labeled in Scripture as the Antichrist would be uh, discovered or revealed. He would come with all power, with all signs, with all lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness. Uh, in them that perish because the Bible says somewhere in the past these individuals will have not received the love of the truth and so Paul told us last week in essence because of not receiving the love of the truth sometime in the distant past that that would invariably have eternal consequences upon mankind if you receive not the love of the Lord or the love of the truth in the life that we live now, then that can have eternal consequences upon our lives and upon our soul. How we respond to truth is important. How we respond to God is important. Not only that, but the Apostle Paul then wrote in the book of Romans that he appears to share with us that there is a degeneration that begins whenever we do not receive a love of this precious truth. He spoke to them at the, the church at Rome and told them that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all of those that would be ungodly or unrighteous. People who held the truth in unrighteousness. I read last week from a few different versions concerning that they held truth and righteousness, which means they suppressed truth or that they repressed and hindered truth and made it inoperative that they push truth away from themselves uh, I tried to give the visual with my wife last week of her trying to love on me and uh, holding her at arm's distance not allowing her into that circle of my life to love me and when I do that then I I am really the one that is missing out I'm the one that is really missing out in that regard. Amen. Other translations say that they render truth dumb and inoperative or they hold down truth. And I shared those different translations with you tonight cautiously, of course, because to repress and hinder truth and make it inoperative or as another says, to render truth dumb is not to say that they have done necessarily anything against truth per se, but really they've done something against themselves because you can really render, never render truth totally inoperative, but you can make it inoperative in your life. You can make it inoperative in your family. You can't render truth totally dumb, but you can prevent it from having its foothold in your life. And so to, to hold or to suppress truth literally means that you're holding it down. You're trying to crush truth. It, it portrays the idea, even what you may think of, if you were to think of it, somebody almost sitting on truth. Somebody putting all their weight upon something in order to restrict it from it having its free movement. Amen. But truth, I'm telling you tonight, is always operable. It's operating. But suppressing truth and as an individual holding back truth at arm's distance will only keep truth from doing what truth would like to do in your life. 
Amen. God exists before we ever did exist. And he's going to exist after we're done existing. Amen. But all along life's journey, what he attempts to do with his love and who and what he is truth, he's trying to pull you into his arms. He's trying to pull you into his arms and, and show you that mercy and that grace that some of the songs talked about tonight. But if you reject that, You've not done any harm to God necessarily. We've all only harmed ourselves and not accepting his mercy, not accepting his grace, not accepting his truth. Uh, if I could bring an analogy to your mind, truth in many regards is kind of like a cowlick. I got one back here over on the right side. I'll plaster it with water. I'll plaster it with hairspray. I'll use a blower on it and hairspray. I'll get gunk, glue, whatever they have on the shelf out. Try to smash that thing down. But there's just something about a calic. If you've been born with a calic, you're always going to have a calic. And it just has a tendency to try against all other odds to stand up. And truth many times is just like a calic. It's going to try, it's going to stand up no matter how much you try to suppress it. It's going to come back into being, into force, because that's its nature. That's its nature. The psalmist said that the truth of the Lord endureth forever. In other words, you can smash it. You can try to mark it out. You can, if you want to divorce it, you can kick it out. But truth is going to last forever. It doesn't matter what you say against truth, how much pressure you put on truth. Truth is going to be there if you accept it. Truth's going to be there if you reject it. Truth's going to be there if you love it back. And truth's going to be there if you never love it again. It's just the nature of who he is. Truth. In writing to the Romans, Paul told them, he said, the truth of God is manifest in you. He says, and the truth of God is known to you because he has shown himself. Truth has shown itself unto you. Romans chapter number one and verse number 20, he says, truth has shown itself to you. This is how you know it. This is how he has shown himself to you. He says in verse 24, the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, what Paul was writing to the church of Rome is this. He says, there are some invisible things concerning God, concerning this truth that I'm speaking to you tonight about, that from the very creation of the world are seen by the things that God has created. If it's just in a tree that grows from a seed or a mountain that is above all the other landscape, he says, in many of these things, you're seeing the reality of truth all throughout these things. He said, even God's eternal power and his Godhead can be revealed through the things that he has made. All that there is to know about God and his truth, he has woven in his creation. He's woven in the butterfly. He's woven, if you will, in the womb of a mother that's with child. He's woven within mankind who is body, soul, and spirit. He's woven it into the folds of the feathers of a bird. If you look at it close enough, you're going to see the fingerprints 
fingerprints of truth. You're going to see the fingerprints of God. And so he told them, because you can witness creation and you can witness everything around you, each and every one of you then have been exposed to a measure of truth. Every single one of you have exposed to the eternal power and the nature and the providence of God in so much so you can't stand and say, I don't know anything about truth. Because if you've seen a mountain and a valley or a seashore, then you have some understanding of the measure of the truth of the creator of our God. One writer said, he said, the theory of intelligent design says that creation is so immense and so complex that a point is reached where its very incomprehensibility is evident that a being beyond us must have designed it. What he is saying is basically this. Those things in our world are so complex that scientists have tried to reduplicate some of the most simple life forms and are unable to do so. Uh, Different animals, insects that fly, I have read that have 20 different muscles that cause their wings to flap and some of them only contract every fifth flap of a wing. Scientists look back at that and just scratch their head and think what in the world? I'll tell you what in the world. There is a designer. There is a creator. There is an almighty God that set all things into order. The very spittle of his lips became galaxies and planetary systems. He was trying to unveil his truth even in creation. It's been made evident, Paul says unto us. He says, but when truth, he said, try to love some of us, we receive not the love of the truth. Jesus told the Jews, he says, guys, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. But understand this evening this, the separation between knowing truth and being freed by truth is whether or not we suppress truth. Woo! The chasm between knowing it and being set free by it is whenever it comes to love on us, if we'll just allow it to love on us, if we'll accept it, if we'll pull it into our bosom. Can someone say amen? You can know something without allowing something to have any type of foothold in your life. Amen. It takes something to suppress or hold down truth. Paul said unrighteousness suppresses truth. When he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, he said it was the deceivableness of unrighteousness. And the the deceivableness of unrighteousness is this, that our unrighteousness that we've been born into, right? All sinners, every single one of us, by nature of our birth. One man sinned, the Roman says, Adam, and put us all under then the banner of sin. Amen? But also because of another man, Jesus Christ, we can all be saved from our sin but because of the unrighteousness that we are born into it also has a tendency to want to suppress truth to the place that sometimes the sin and the unrighteousness that we've been born into can mislead us to believe that it's okay not to be okay with God 
it can blind us, if you will, to the evident truth that is all around us in creation and in our world. And the Bible tells us as we track just a little bit here in Romans, suppressed truth that happened in verse number 18 then can lead to this result of verse number 21, that the people who knew God glorified him not as God. Because folks, glorifying God, it's more than a lip service. Glorifying God is more than just a statement or a confession. I glorify the Lord or I lift up the Lord or I believe that the Lord is true. Glorifying God is more than just being in attendance at a church building. That's some religious activity. Glorifying God is more than that. Paul told them in Corinthians, he said, listen, boys, he says, you've been bought with a price. Hallelujah. The Bible calls it, it was the precious blood of the Savior. He says, you've been bought with the price. The only thing that Christ ever bought was people. He never bought food. We don't see, man, he had, you know, one of the disciples go down and get a coin out of a fish's mouth just to pay taxes. We don't see him buying a home. Foxes have their holes. The birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man have nowhere to lay. But whenever he went to buy something, he was going to expend it all for what he bought, and it required his blood. And Paul said, you've been bought with a price. Therefore, you should glorify the Lord in your body and in your spirit, which are God. What's that mean? I live in a way, amen, that he is pleasing of in body and spirit. Why? Because I know the truth, I understand the truth, and I'm allowing truth to love on me. I'm I'm allowing truth to love on me. See, suppressed truth will just leave you with a knowledge of truth unacted on. Amen. A wisdom of truth that's unemployed. It will leave you knowing what to do without ever having done it. Huh? Have you ever met someone like that? That knew exactly what to do, but they didn't do it? You know, you, you, you were there whenever they heard the sounds that you heard from their vehicle, and you're like, both like, you know what that is, don't you? Such and such is about ready to go out. Yeah. A few weeks later, you're there, you hear the same sound. Hey, didn't we just talk to your date? Such as, yeah, I know it, it's going to go out. What's the problem? The disconnect is they have a knowledge, but they have not acted upon the knowledge they have. Amen. And they're going to find themselves stranded on the side of the road because they did not act upon the knowledge they have. Amen. Suppressed truth leaves you with nothing more but a knowledge that's been unacted upon. Amen. Paul told the Romans this very plainly. He said, if you know the truth and you're basically doing nothing concerning that knowledge that you have, let it be known that you're going to be without excuse someday because you had the knowledge. You just didn't follow through. You knew what to do. You just didn't do it. You knew who to serve. You just didn't serve it. You had all all the knowledge in the world you could talk about it theorize about it write an article on it but you failed in doing it someone say hallelujah and so the problem with suppressing truth is that it leads to other dimensions it leads to other things truth that is suppressed today may very well lead to truth that is exchanged everybody say exchange exchange tomorrow. Paul says in verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie. They changed it. Other versions say they he exchanged it or they exchanged it or they chose to believe lies. They forfeited the truth. 
and accepted a lie. They exchanged truth for a lie. Now, some would argue that what we hold and revere as Bible-believing people as truth, some naysayers perhaps would say, well, it's just a bunch of nonsense. A divine creator, one that would come down and give his life's blood for humanity. It's just nonsense. Some, even today, society would try to dilute the absoluteness of truth by saying there's certain aspects of truth that just don't matter. They're like options on the car. Take them or leave them. They really don't matter. But Paul had even warned Timothy of such that type of thinking and mind frame when he told them, Timothy, there's going to come some that's going to turn away their ears from truth. You're going to be speaking it. You're going to be telling them they're going to turn away their ears from truth and they will be turned to fables. In other words, Timothy, they're going to exchange truth for fables. They're going to exchange whatever is pure and absolute for something that, that is just made up and fabricated. Just, just, just for a fable. But realize this, Timothy. That when people start to exchange truth for a lie. Hear me today. That when you start to exchange truth for a lie. You have upset what is natural. <laughs> You've upset what is natural. Because truth was interwoven into creation itself. Oh, that mountain, that tree, that leaf, that water, all that is nature. That's natural. But he said, I have revealed who I am and my truth. Even my eternal power and Godhead. It's interwoven in creation. He says, so if you deny truth, you've started to deny what is natural. Amen. You started to deny those things. The lies of my generation, even the generation that I live in right now, tell me that if I believe in a higher power and I recognize that power as God, amen, if I do that, if I, if I do that, then that's just not natural. Amen. That that is not appropriate. They tell me that surrendering my life to prayer or surrendering my life to worship or even my finances to God, that's not natural. And yet truth is a part of nature and as natural as the very air that we breathe in and out of our lungs. It is the invisible that was made visible and understood by the things that are made. And so when we begin to exchange truth for lies we've exchanged listen to me now what is natural in reality according to the bible for what is unnatural consider the word tonight and i'm going to the scripture consider the word after there's this exchange of truth for a lie the bible says then in verse 26 for this cause which it's referring to the exchange of truth for life. For this cause, God gave them up into vile affections. For even their women did change, everybody say, the natural. The natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men leaving the 
natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their heir which was meat what are you saying tonight brother McGee Paul is saying that men and women started having some unnatural affections they started burning if you will they changed the natural use of their bodies they they did that which was a against nature why because when you exchange truth which is interwoven into the natural and nature amen and accept a lie then you've let go of everything that is natural and oh yes and everything that is found in nature so it's no surprise to me that he would say there's following unnatural affections because they've just divorced themselves from truth which by creation is natural I'm trying to preach to a group of people tonight and tell you we must be cautious about a man ever exchanging truth for a lie because when you exchange truth, a person is opening themselves up for anything unnatural and against the nature of God. It is a lie. Amen. It's a lie. I'm telling you, if you exchange for it, it's a lie. And the lie that you've been sold is this. You will not find love there. You will not find hope there. You will not find satisfaction there. You will not find contentment there. You might enjoy the pleasures, as the Bible says, of sin for a season. But I'd rather hear the psalmist David that says that at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you exchange that, you've exchanged an ever more pleasure for a seasonal pleasure someone say hallelujah you've exchanged it for a lie and a lie is nothing more but an intentional violation of the truth in the Greek language it's not just a lie but it has a little determiner there that says the lie Paul here in Romans, he's, he's doing a lot of talk about worship. He's doing a lot of talk about God. He's talking about idolatry or worshiping false images and statutes and gods of wood and gods of stone. And the, the lie that's being referred to in this verse in particular is idolatry. Men were becoming vain, the Bible says, in their imaginations. Why? Because they wouldn't receive a love of. You don't have a love of the truth. Honey, your mind can go anywhere. You'll start to think about stuff and do stuff. Involve yourself in stuff you'd have never even thought about being a part of before. A lot of vain imaginations that would take place. Amen. They started making statutes and uh, stuff out of wood and stone, trying to, if you will, give an image to the invisible God. He already gave himself an image, and that was in Jesus Christ, his son, when he was born in Bethlehem's manger. He didn't need no help with that. Amen. But they were exchanging the truth for their idols. And an idol is nothing more than this. I remember, I think Grandpa Weisberg used to say this all the time. He said, an idol is nothing more but something that comes between you and God. If it's come between you and your God, it's become your idol. It's something you worship instead of God. We exchange truth or lie. We brought something into our circle that we're giving more attention to than what we would have or did give attention unto the Lord. And I question this congregation tonight this. 
What have you exchanged the matchless God for? Let's get real for a moment. Whoever you may be here tonight, what addiction have you traded him for? What thing have you traded him for? What activity have you traded him for? Because somebody might not be allowing the truth to love them, but you're allowing cocaine to love you. Somebody might not be allowing the truth to love them, but they're allowing somebody else's bed that's not your wife or husband to love on you. Someone hear me right now. What have you exchanged truth for? Folks, we've had people walk in these doors and my wife and I has been in more prisons than I can count, amen, anymore around the country of men and women that have stood there and they have loved addiction and addiction has loved them. They've loved their promiscuous lifestyle and it's loved them back. And at the end of the day, you know what they come to and realize all of these things are temporal. These things cannot forever love me and give me the hope and the satisfaction and the contentment that I need. They understood you know what I need to make another trade I'm going to trade my addiction for truth I'm going to trade my lover for truth I'm going to trade oh yeah my sorrow for joy I'm going to make another exchange because of truth amen if you don't love truth, if you won't allow truth to wrap you up, there's something else standing nearby that's eager and going to try to wrap you up, consume your mind, consume your life, but it will not have the benefits that truth would have if you would allow it in. The downward spiral continues, folks. You suppress it first, you'll exchange it next, and if you're not careful, you will disobey truth Bible says in Romans 7 Romans 2 rather in verses 7 and 8 he speaks to the positive in each of these places in many regards he speaks to both the positive and the negative sides of these he says to them who by patient continuance patient continuance kind of connects a little bit with our past Wednesday here talking a little bit about long obedience in the same direction Patient continuance in well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But here's the contrast in verse 8. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. It speaks now, rather than their eternal life, what, what they have to look forward to, indignation and wrath. And verse 9 goes on to talk about tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil. Those that oh, do not obey truth. What I've been trying to convey for the past two services is this. You don't wake up one morning and disobey truth without first have suppressed it somewhere in your life. You don't wake up one morning and just refuse truth without having exchanged it somewhere in life. Those who do not obey truth of a translation say they refuse to obey the truth. Or they disobey truth while on the other hand obeying unrighteousness. They reject truth. And they want and have a desire to do evil. When we talk about disobeying truth, we're not talking about some momentary lapse in our experience or walk with God. We're not talking about some weakening of faith and belief in the moment. Because if we would be honest with each other, we all have moments like that. 
all moments that there are a lapse or there is a weakening, if you will, of our faith. But when we talk about disobeying truth, we're talking about walking in such a way, persistently ongoing disobedience and unbelief toward the things of God. It's different than that. Wednesday night that we just talked about the long obedience in the same direction. We, we are doing a long disobedience in the opposite direction. We're talking about someone who has already suppressed truth and who has already exchanged truth for lies. And ultimately now they are disobeying truth. And this person is habitually, amen, or continually disobeying truth. Disobedience has become a lifestyle for them. Disobedience is the way that they live. They disobey what they know to be true. Because here's the fact of the matter. In true reality, you cannot disobey what you do not know. You could do it. The Bible speaks of it even in the Old Testament. There's sin of ignorance. People did a sin. And the Bible says whenever they come to the understanding that they had done wrong, then they were to make a sin offering in order to make what was wrong right. But the moment they did it, they weren't aware. But when they came aware, they had to make amends for what was wrong. And so the real fact of the matter, you can't disobey what you do not know. So if Paul plainly says they disobeyed truth, that means somewhere along the path they had known truth. You cannot disobey what you do not know. What that means is Paul is telling you, guys, truth tried to love you one time. Truth tried to wrap its arms around you. Truth tried to coddle you, but you would not have anything to do with that truth. That, that truth has even been made known to you in creation. That's evident to every man. But you've traded that love of truth for something that was a lie. You, you traded that for something insufficient. You traded that for something subpar. Amen. And what he's trying to convey to these folks is this. Listen, what you've traded it for is making you a lot of promises that it cannot come through on. It's promising you this and that and the other. Amen. But it will never come through on that. Someone say amen. amen. See, and what happens is our lives, the sinful state that we are born into this world with, this, this unrighteousness and ungodliness that we were born into this world with, mark my words, it is out on a path to deceive you. Yeah. It's out to deceive you. Because it doesn't want you to place your obedience and trust in the righteousness of God. It's out to deceive us so that we would place our obedience rather in the unrighteousness rather than the righteousness of God. But Paul says, guys, it's never going to profit you to disobey unrighteousness. It's never going to profit you, amen, to obey the nature of sin that you were born into. No, 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 no. He said it will not do it. It's not done anybody any good from the beginning of creation. Anybody that obeyed unrighteousness, they died in their unrighteousness. They died in their ungodliness. They have a hope, though, that is grander and greater and all that. But, Brother McGee, what's the big deal with all this? First John tells us, you need to look at it later in your Bibles. First John 5, 17 says this. Oh, everybody say all. Oh. One of the biggest words of the, of, of the English language, all. A-L-L. All unrighteousness is sin. That's what the Bible says. 
all unrighteousness is sin. What did he go to Calvary for? Sin. What was he made for? He was made sin for us, the Bible says. What were the handwritings of the ordinances that were against you and I that he nailed to the tree? It was all about the accusations of our sin and our unrighteousness. Do you think that he's going to be able to accept sin in our life whenever that would be an affront to the very purpose of Calvary? No, no, no. All sin is unrighteousness. It's an affront to God. And the deceivableness of unrighteousness or the deceivableness of sin is this. The old saying used to say it well. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. And sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. Oh, it looks grand. And it looks fine. And it's very promising. But the fact of the matter, you're not in arms of love. You're in arms of bondage to a slave master that is cruel to a slave my God hallelujah amen David after his failure with Bathsheba which was adultery taking another man's wife his sin with Bathsheba he committed adultery he writes in Psalms 51, which is basically a prayer and a conversation of repentance unto the Lord because of the adulterous situation that he had got into. And he, he cries into the Lord and listen to his words in Psalms 51 and 6. He's talking to God. He says, Lord, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. The psalmist is repenting over unrighteousness. He's repenting over ungodliness and his failure and his sin. And he's like, God, I realize that you desire truth in my inward parts. You know what David's trying to convey? It's not enough just to know truth or truth to get on you. Truth's got to get in you. It's not enough just to rub shoulders with truth. You need truth on the end. Oh, yeah. You need the truth on the inside. The apostles spoke of it in John that the Lord is going to send another comforter. Jesus said that I'm going to come to you, even the spirit of truth, and it shall lead you and guide you into all truth. Where they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, you know what happened? Truth got on the inside. Truth got on the inward. Oh, yeah. Truth got on the inward parts and contended with unrighteousness, ungodliness, and sin that was in our lives. Amen. It's all part and parcel of this plan of salvation. It must get in you. Goes along with the New Testament. The Bible is very harmonious, amen, in what it says in one place and another place. Amen. There is this, this harmony, this togetherness about it. This idea of pure obedience, the New Testament even picks up on and conveys that the idea of obedience is actually just nothing more but an outward conduct of the result of an inward persuasion. An outward demonstration. An outward showing forth of an inside persuasion. Someone say amen. Now look at this now. Therefore, just as truth, the truth of God can be seen, as Paul said in Romans, in creation. The flying of the bird, the walking of a camel, the spitting of a llama. It's in there somewhere. (laughs) 
Just as you can see God in creation, the truth of God in creation. And that tells us this, likewise, the truth that we identify with can be found in what we do as well. His truth, he said, can be discovered in what I do, my creation. He says, your truth, what you identify with as truth, whether that be God or something that you've exchanged for God. Oh, God. Uh What you identify with as truth can be found in what you do. What that means is this. Our conduct, how we act, how we go about our lives is expressing the truth we identify with. He said, you can find my truth in what I've done. He said, I can find your truth in the same in what you do. Oh, someone say hallelujah. In other words, he says, whatever your personal creations are, he says, I'm finding the truth of what you identify with. Amen. And what you do. And so this idea of someone disobeying truth, amen, is so profound to the apostle Paul. The idea that someone would really disobey truth is so profound to him that he told the church of Galatia in the book of Galatians, he said, if you have not obeyed truth, this is what Paul said. He said, then you must have been bewitched. Look at it, Galatians 3 and verse number 1. He says, oh foolish Galatians. He starts right out, I mean right out of the chute. Who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. Paul's saying, you you disobey truth? How in the world? creation expressed right there who's bewitched you what he's saying he's saying who's tricked you who's charmed you who's enchanted you he said because christ had been evidently set forth before you crucified among you and he's speaking in figurative language he's not saying galatians you were there whenever he was crucified but he's saying we've preached so convincingly to you We've shared the gospel so many times with you. We've sat at your table. We've taught you in the synagogues and out in the streets. We talk so much about Christ and his crucifixion, his death, and his burial. We've done it so, amen, detailed unto you that you probably felt like you were at the foot of the cross. You probably felt like that you stood there witnessing it because we've not yet, we've not let one jot or one tittle out. We've, we've included everything concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and his truth. We've explained it all from beginning to end and in between. So how in the world do you now disobey what we have conveyed to you? Surely you've been tricked. Surely somebody has conned you. Surely somebody's got the upper hand of you because anybody that would hear what Christ did for them could by no way walk away from that type of love. But, oh my God. Oh, I know Jesus. No, no. Somebody must understand tonight. It might as well be you hanging on that tree, but it's not you or me because he went to the tree for me. Can I walk away from him? Amen. With that knowledge, can I divorce my life from that truth? Amen. With that knowledge, knowing he took the stripes I should have had, he had the crown on his head of thorns that I should have had. Honey, if I believe anything different, Brother Terry, I must have been conned. I must have been bewitched. 
You've been charmed. You've been in something for you to deny what's happening, what we've conveyed to you. Paul's saying, you've been duped. Because would someone suppress truth and exchange truth and disobey truth? Watch me closely here. When the very word of God, the Bible tells us in Romans 2, 2, that the judgment of God is according to truth. Paul says, but we're sure that the judgment of God is according to truth. So Paul, no doubt, with mind of Galatians, you had to be bewitched. Because are you going to deny the very plan book that you're going to be judged by? Are you, are you going to suppress the very thing that's going to stand in judgment with you? Are you going to exchange that for something else? Because whatever that something else is, it's not coming to bear as far as your judge. No, 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 no. Would you not allow truth to love on you right now? Let it love you till judgment day. Let it love you to judgment day. Galatians, anybody else for that matter that Paul may be addressing in Romans or in Thessalonica, the city of Thessalonica, whoever you are, you must have been bewitched because the truth that you've ignored is the standard of God's judgment. You've been tricked. You've been calmed. The psalmist said, look, the psalmist in the book of Psalms 91, he says this. He says, speaking of God's truth, his truth shall be thy shield and thy buckler. What are you saying, psalmist? I'm saying this. Truth isn't incarcerating. Truth isn't bondage. If you'll let it, truth will set you free if you'll not suppress it. It is your shield and your buckler. If you allow it to, truth will protect you. If you don't trade it off, if you don't pawn it off for something insufficient, Something baser and lesser. He said truth will come to your protection. I tell you right now tonight that my relationship with truth has kept me from a lot of things. Oh, yeah, my truth and I, listen, this is, this is just me being a young man, a man that was raised in a home that propagated truth, went to the church, listened to truth, knew about truth, but I allowed truth to love on me. I've never had to worry, amen, about smoking or drinking or having sex before marriage. And as a result of that, I'm not standing here today with the onset of lung cancer. And I don't have, if you will, cirrhosis of the liver. And I don't have some sexually transmitted disease. Why? Because truth has become a shield and a buckler. Oh, yeah. 
It has brought, it has protected me from some things. Oh, I'm not looking down on anybody that's walked the other road, but what I'm telling you tonight is this. You need to make an exchange. Exchange whatever it is you've held on to up to this moment in time and allow truth to love on you. It'll love your, fa- oh yeah, it'll love you in spite of your failures. It'll love you in spite of your pain. It'll love you through the debacles of the past truth. It does forever. It wants to be your shield, your buckler, your protector. Amen. But if I will receive the truth, the love of the truth, if I will obey the truth, if I'll not suppress it, if I'll keep it and not exchange it, he'll prepare me, he'll prepare us. For the judgment of God. Peter told them in the book that he wrote. First Peter. He said that their souls were purified. In obeying. Truth. Psalmist said the law is truth. The commandments are truth. Some of those things that sometimes we kind of steer away from. Oh law commandments. No. When you're in a love relationship of truth. All those laws and commandments that are truth. They do nothing but protect. You. Just stand with me. I'll, I'll come to a close. I know we have a baptismal service still here. I'm mindful of that. I want you for a moment to consider this. This process because of truth. People's either response or rejection to truth sets a path, sets a journey. I want you to consider, I think, in my estimation, a story of the Bible that perhaps illustrates this well. The Bible says... Jesus, the one that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That Jesus, in the hour of his trial, preceding his crucifix, that he was brought before Pilate. Let me state it in these terms. Truth was brought before Pilate. Pilate asked some questions, even of the Jews, What accusations do you have toward truth? What do you got against this man? He even asked Jesus himself. He's speaking to truth, if you will. And he says, art thou king of the Jews? Jesus is like, have you come up that on your own or someone else told you this? Art thou king of the Jews? He asked, Pilate asked truth, what hast thou done? What hast thou done? And in many respects through the life of Christ, we have this. You know what Christ tried to do? He tried to love on people. He said, I'm not come for the whole. The physician's not come for that. He's come for the sick. He tried to love on people. Truth tried to love them. And Jesus' response is this, and you can read of it in John 18, 38. This is so powerful in my estimation. Jesus' response to Pilate is this. He said, to this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth Pilate goes out to the multitude the Jews and the others and this is what he says sister Grace I find no fault in this man at all but voices start to emerge from the crowd here and there let's this man he's done wrong let's crucify this man let's crucify him 
And it was on this, this day of Passover that they had a law that they could release somebody that may have done something wrong or a malefactor, right? <laughs> and so people are hollering this or that concerning how, no, no, this man, you say there's no fault of him, but listen, listen. You know what's happening in that moment? Pilate begins to suppress truth. Hear me now. And he says, you all have a law that someone should be released to you. He says, we have Barabbas. He's for sure a robber. He's a criminal. He has done wrong. Says, what would you all like? What's your pleasure? Exchange. Barabbas or Jesus? The people holler out, Barabbas. And against Pilate's own understanding of truth. He exchanges Jesus for Barabbas. He suppressed truth. And now he's exchanging truth. And the Bible says that Pilate got a basin of water and he washed his hands. It was a custom. It's as though he was washing his hands of the innocence of the blood of that man. In other words, I don't really want to have anything to do with this, although really I've had something to do with it. His wife even told me, said, don't do anything concerning this man. I've had dreams this night that's troubled me concerning him. You know what she's saying? Be careful how you handle truth. And the Bible says when it was all said and done, Sister Sheila, we know the story. Many of us do. He came and presented truth to the people and delivered them to the people who had a mind that was bent negatively on Jesus Christ. And they took him away to crucify him. Just in my estimation, Pilate suppressed it. He exchanged it. Ultimately, he gave in and just disobeyed. Let me tell you tonight, oh God, every apostle that preached after the crucifix and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they tell the whole story of his crucifix and all that, and they talk to them about how basically you crucified your Messiah, and all of a sudden they feel very guilty. That's what we see on the day of Pentecost, and they're like, what are we going to do about it, right? Because we crucified truth. They're there guilty. Listen, when you crucify truth, hear me as it was literally for Jesus and as it is for us today and how we reject or accept truth. When you crucify truth, you stand guilty before God in judgment. The Bible even speaks of in some of the epistles how if, if we do go back and entangle ourselves in things that we've been entangled before, that we crucify him afresh. And put him to open shame. What are you saying? You've put truth on the cross again. And you're guilty for putting truth on the cross again. Folks, if we've done that, and I know we all perhaps have in some major way at different times done that, but when you practice just a lifestyle of that and you're disobedient today and tomorrow and you have the knowledge of who he is and how he could be your protector and all of that, folks, there is a day that's coming that we spoke at the very beginning of this whole sermon last week, the fact of the matter, that will be a day when the rapture of the church will go away and there will be people in that day, Jesus, the Bible says that God will send them, future tense, a strong delusion and they will believe a lie and be damned because somewhere in the past they received not the love of the truth and that they disobeyed past tense the truth so what we do today is very vital to our future what we do in this moment is very important concerning our tomorrow 
I want to allow truth to love on me. And I want to reciprocate that love. And I want to love him back. I don't want to exchange him. There's nothing else out there that compares to him. And so I don't need to have wondering eyes. And if there's something that promises pleasure, I must understand that it has a season that will pass. But his is from everlasting to everlasting to everlasting. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you, and have a blessed day.